Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the podcast designed to help you run a more sustainable and successful team or organization. And today, as always, we've got a very special guest for you kicking off the new year. I'm so excited that he has decided to join us. He's got quite a few of those exceptional characteristics that I like to share with the audience before we reveal who it is. He's resilient. I've come to the conclusion that if he's nothing, he's resilient, but he's certainly other things. He's very creative. He's flexible. And he has this wonderful combination of being extremely stubborn as well as extremely passionate. And you put all those together and you've got a tremendously successful executive. His name is Rob Perlman. He's the president and chief operating officer for Steamboat Ski and Resort Company, Steamboat Springs, Colorado. He's also a good friend. So Rob Perlman, welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Thank you very much for having me, Ed. Excited that we finally get to do this. We've been talking about it for a while, and now we get to pull the trigger. I guess we met in the late, early 2000, like 2008 or nine. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Right around 2009, I believe. Yeah. Was that an Air Summit event? Probably. I believe it was an Air Summit event where the resort here hosts a bunch of airline executives from around the nation and shows off all that we have here in Steamboat. And you were one of our guest speakers, and that's where we met. So, and of course, from that moment, you knew I was going to have a tremendous impact on you and the ski resort, right? From the moment we met. (laughs) For the audience's benefit, I did a 45-minute presentation in front of about 150 people, as Rob said, executives from various airlines that they host every year in, in Steamboat. But I think probably what won me, uh, if, if, if anything won my favor, it was the uh, rough time that I gave to Tom Kern, who was then at the CEO for the Steamboat Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. Yeah. And I gave him a really hard time. And so I think Rob went, well, if you can give him a hard time, I think you can handle us. Yes. You're a Colorado native, right? Actually, I was born in Chicago and my family moved to Colorado when I was less than two. Okay. But I can't quite claim native status. So. Okay. For all intents and purposes. Yeah, I spent my life in the mountains of Colorado, yes. Have you lived anywhere else other than Colorado as far as professionally? Have you been outside the state? Yes, yes. I lived in Mammoth Mountain, Mammoth Lakes, California. Worked there for four years, and both of my daughters were born in Mammoth Lakes, California. So yes, a brief stint outside the state. And right now, with COVID causing challenges for the hospitality and ski industry, it's it's probably you're better off being in Colorado than California right now, I would guess. That is correct. We all have our challenges, but California doesn't have any short-term lodging at the moment, so that makes things difficult. How did you get to Steamboat? What journey did you follow to end up in Steamboat Springs? Well, as you know, I grew up in the state of Colorado and I've always had a passion for skiing and snowboarding and the mountain resort industry. So I've spent my entire career in this industry. And before I came to Steamboat, I was the president and CEO of Colorado Ski Country, the trade association, where I spent time representing the entire $5 billion ski industry in front of the state legislature, uh, with the National Forest Service, in terms of marketing, public relations, and public policy. 
And the chairman of the board for a period of that time was my predecessor, Chris Diamond. So got to know Chris and all that he had going on here at Steamboat Resort and have always been in love with Steamboat and had an opportunity to leave Colorado Ski Country, the Trades Association, and move my family. And I've been around ski towns my whole life and knew that this is a very special place and a very special place to raise a family. So I uh, jumped at the opportunity to move here in 2008 is when I came to Steamboat. You know, if you've never been to Steamboat, there's something they call the curse of the Yampa Valley. So that's one thing that not everybody knows about Steamboat. But Rob, what are some other things that people may be surprised to know about Steamboat or would be unusual? And if they spend any time there, they go, gee, I didn't realize this about the Steamboat Springs area. Well, there's a couple things. One is we were founded on our ranching heritage. So it's been a ranching community for a long, long time. And even our ski history is quite fascinating. A gentleman by the name of Carl Hallison uh, was a residence here back in the early 1900s and was a ski jumper. So they've been skiing in this valley for over 100 years. And Hallison Hill, named after Carl Hallison, is the little ski area owned by the city of Steamboat Springs that's right in the middle of our downtown uh, it still operates today, and it's actually the longest continuously run operating ski area in the United States. So we're pretty proud of that. But we're also, as I said, proud of our ranching heritage. And we talk about real town with real people. It's authentic, it's genuine, and this place is very special. It really is. And when you come to the area, I think the essence of the Yampa Valley Curse is rooted in two things. One, it's so beautiful. But the other part is because it was long before it became a ski resort, it was a ranching community. There is this connection with all kinds of nature, all kinds of outdoors things, and a tremendous work ethic in the community. So the Curse of the Yampa Valley says if you come to the Yampa Valley, which is the Yampa River that runs through Steamboat, you're destined to return. And I know that's certainly been true for yours truly. And I know that when I arrive in Steamboat, I always feel like I'm home. I always feel like I'm coming back home. So it's it's pretty cool. You've had a pretty impressive journey at your time in the organization. It's safe to say you've climbed the proverbial ladder to where you are now as the president and COO. How would you say you've changed the most, Rob, in how you manage and lead in thinking about what you were like in 2008 or nine and versus who you are today? You know, I continue to learn and grow every day, every year. And you got to surround yourself, as we all know, with great people. And I've been fortunate that I have been surrounded by a great group of managers and directors and vice presidents and leaders here at this company. And I think I was obviously a team player back then, but I've also had to learn to be a leader and make some decisions, whether those, you know, are easy decisions, but oftentimes they're not. So, you got to make the hard decisions and you got to make them for the right reasons and you got to stand behind them. So I think that's probably the way I've grown the most is just challenging myself to be a leader. And that requires you to make some tough decisions at times, but know that you're making the right decisions. So. I'm thinking about the journey that every CEO goes through, every president, every owner of a business, especially when they're transitioning, following somebody as uh, you did in Chris Diamond, who had been in that role for a significant period of time and was highly respected, not only within the Steamboat Ski and Resort Company, but throughout the industry. There are moments where based upon actions you take, decisions that you force to be made, maybe you don't make it, but you force the team to make it, however it gets done, that you really put your stamp on the organization, that the transition is complete. It's now your 
team, your organization. In your mind, was there a moment when that happened for you? It was pretty early on because of the ownership that we had then and the the pressures we were under. You know, Chris retired and went off to write several great books about the ski industry. He said he still lives here and he's always available and we talk frequently. But when he retired, he retired. So there there wasn't a, a big shadow that was cast. At the same time, there were big ski boots to fill, as we call it, um, <laughs> uh, because he had been here and, and just, you know, his contributions, not only here, but as you said, around the industry. But pretty early on, I had to make a decision on a new vice president of finance. And I think that was within the first 90 days of my role here and that was the time when you know I knew I had to step into the role and I couldn't look to others to, to do that. So I had to make that decision. Yeah. And then I stepped into the role, I believe it was June 30th. So that was a big decision. And by the time we opened the ski area that first year in 2015-16 was the season that I took over as president and COO. We opened early. And I made the decision that we were going to open early. And that obviously was uh, different for a lot of folks that had said, wait a second, what do you mean we're going to open early? So that was another way I put my stamp on on the resort was to, you know, my first season to open early and the first time we had opened early in like two decades. For the audience's benefit, it is important to say that following in the footsteps of somebody who had cast as large a shadow as Chris Diamond it would have been very easy to shy away from some of the challenges that you faced and you did not. You had, you rose to all of those challenges and I think gave people a tremendous amount of confidence very quickly that you were not going to be indecisive and, and you were willing to take some risks and that you were not going to try to clone yourself after Chris. In hindsight, I hadn't thought about that opening early decision until you said that. That was a yeah. big deal. That was it a was. really big deal. It was. <laughs> You've also had one of the rare scenarios multiple times of going through different ownership. And not only have you gone through private equity, but you've gone through ownership by a publicly traded company as well. I know a lot of my clients are privately owned and considering being purchased by private equity. So what's it like going from a publicly traded company to a private equity company and those kinds of shifts? Just help the audience understand what challenges that presents. Well, I mean, they all come with their own unique challenges, but you know, at, at the end of the day, it's all about performance and we all hold ourselves to high standards here and those pressures will continue whether you're publicly owned or private equity or, or even privately held. And there's those expectations. I'd say maybe a little bit less with just being privately held rather than private equity or publicly. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's all about performance and we hold ourselves to just you know very high standards for achieving great results when it comes to our guest service, when it comes to our financial results and also employee engagement. So those are the metrics that we continually focus in on. And sure, there's more pressure on a quarterly basis when you're a public company to kind of hit those numbers on a quarterly basis. Um, but private equity, those pressures are a little bit different because you know they've they've invested into the into the resort or into the company and you know they're held accountable to their shareholders and but if our intentions and our intentions are always in the right place and our intentions are to perform and and provide a great experience to our guests and provide a return for our shareholders and stakeholders and also make it a fun place to work it really doesn't matter the ownership structure have you ever thought about what it would be like to put together a group and buy a resort 
Yes, but then I, I realized, you know, they have the saying about how do you become a millionaire owning ski resorts? Start with how much? Start with 10 million. <laughs> 10 million, yeah. yeah. Or maybe a billion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, start with millions and then you could become a millionaire. Would you give any advice to somebody who's privately owned? They, they own their own business now and thinking about selling some of, you know, maybe controlling interest to private equity firm. Would there be any advice you would share with somebody who goes from owning their own, you know, gig, if you will, to inviting others in because of the capital it can provide and the exit strategy? Any thoughts about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think you mentioned it. They can bring resources to bear that a private company just doesn't have access to. And those resources can take the company or in our case, the resort to new heights. And we haven't, you know, just speaking specifically here in Steamboat, you know, our ownership group now is which is, you know, made up of private equity and also a privately held company. It's a it's a unique joint venture, but they're long term. Their vision for what the opportunities are here in Steamboat are really tremendous. And we've been in a position that we really haven't been in previously to take advantage of those once we come out of this pandemic to do what we call full steam ahead here in Steamboat, which is to hit the ground running, to harness the momentum that we you know, used to have just less than a year ago and, and continue to move the resort forward in a special way. So, You mentioned the pandemic. It has impacted all of us. I don't know that since you and I last talked, my wife and I both had COVID over the holidays. Oh. Yeah. So we've been down that path and know somewhat about its effects. So I take that personally. How has it affected the community and how has it affected the organization that you manage and lead? Because I, I know they're not exactly the same, right? Yes, but they're similar, right? And, and you said it in terms of, you know, it's a, a hardworking community from our ranching heritage. We'll roll up our sleeves and persevere through thick and thin. And we've dealt with recessions. We've dealt with low snow years. Nobody ever saw a pandemic coming, of course. But we rally around each other as a community to figure things out. And since early on when this started, I've been on a, a what we call the stakeholder call, which is a weekly call with the county, the city, the law enforcement, the hospital, the lodging community, the restaurant community, the resort. And we all talk about things that are affecting us and how we can work together to continually you know, make sure we protect our special community. And that's what it's all about, is this will end and how can we work together to get through it and navigate the storm and be proactive rather than frozen and reactive so uh, it's worked out incredibly well to be a part of this community. And then at the resort, you know, we put in place our plans. We called it our playbook, which we worked with the state of Colorado and we worked with the Colorado Ski Country, my old uh, trade association. We worked with Altera Mountain Company, as well as public health to put together our playbook on how we were going to operate during the pandemic. And obviously that evolves and we learn stuff every day. And But for the most part, we feel very confident in the plan we put forward. We're executing on that plan and we're making adjustments along the way. I believe I understood this correctly and clarify if I misunderstood, but I think you even now have in place an app that tells me when to show up to get in line for the gondola. Am I right? So that you can yes. maintain spacing, stuff like that. That would be something different about how you operate today versus before, right? Yes, yes. And then we have several of those examples of, of things and operating procedures and, and ways we operate that might be with us going forward. One of those, as you mentioned, is what we call the virtual gondola line. 
where it's basically a call ahead. So you can go to our app, our website, put in your, your name and your cell phone number and essentially get in the gondola line. I love it. And then we text you back and say your wait of when you should show up is in 15 minutes, it's in 30 minutes, and then you show up at the virtual gondola line and you bypass everybody else that didn't know about that virtual gondola line, and you get to the kind of the front of the line. And it's a great way for folks to get in line without actually being in line. So, Sign me up. I love it. Yes. Another couple things we're doing is, I don't know if you've heard about the Pizza Ranger, but we have a Ranger, which is a Polaris vehicle that you put snow tracks on in the winter yeah and we deliver pizza to a a location on the mountain where people can get slices of pizza or order whole pizzas via an app and then it gets delivered via a pizza ranger because it has pizza ovens on the back of a ranger so we had the taco beast a few years ago but that is very popular Okay, so is Taco Beast still there? Yes, yes. Okay. The Taco Beast is a snowcat, basically a food truck on a snowcat that we rolled out a few years ago. And yeah. then we've had great success with the Taco Beast, which is a snowcat food truck on a snowcat. And then we took it to the next level this year and, and created the Pizza Ranger. So I love uh, it. just creative ways to <laughs> deal with all that we have to deal with in this crazy world. So if somebody's debating whether it's safe to come to Colorado to ski, to come to Steamboat, what would you tell people about their experience? How would it be different from what they might normally go through, you know, two years ago, two seasons ago? Well, the first thing is we require face coverings to ski at our resort, to be in our resort, to be in our base area. It's very important. As I said, our goal this year is to protect our staff, protect our community and protect our guests. Okay. So we put in place all these measures. And one of those is you have to wear a face covering that we will not allow you to ski and snowboard here at the resort or be in our base area without a face covering. The second you're going to see, you know, if you rented skis, you're going to have to make everything. You're going to have to do all of your reservations in advance. But we want to decrease the amount of, you know, uh, personal contact you have with our ticket agents, with our rental techs, with anybody you come in contact to. Our goal is to minimize that. So all reservations are required in advance. The days of walking up to the ticket window and buying a lift ticket for the day are gone. So you need to do some advanced planning. Also, things are going to look a little bit different in terms of our on-mountain restaurants. We have limited capacity in our on-mountain restaurants. So people are getting grab-and-go food, which we made available, or the Taco Beast, which is outside. We have a lot of fire pits out there, a lot of chairs where you can get some food and, and sit down and enjoy that. And you just need to understand things are going to be a little bit different, but you're still going to really enjoy the whole ski experience here at the resort. Our goal is to make that as as great as it has ever been. And we all know the skiing and snowboarding, there's an inherent risk to going and sliding on the mountain. Right. Uh, And that's part of the thrill and the excitement of doing that. It's just a little bit more challenging this year with all the protocols we have in place. For the audience's benefit, Rob has been, this is Rob Perlman, the president and COO for Steamboat Ski and Resort Company. And Rob's been on a pretty intense journey of trying to create a leadership team that's very aligned and cohesive. You've done a great job of getting the right people on your team and aligning them. And I think 
they've been remarkably oriented around doing what's right for the organization rather than just focusing on what's important to their own functional interest. But I'm curious about, have you found it harder to stay connected as a team this year because of all the COVID protocols, the pandemic challenges, or has it actually made it easier to rally the team? I, I think it's made it more difficult, just to be honest. But we've, through this since early on, communication was paramount to our success. Communicating with our guests, communicating with our team, communicating as a senior team, as a management team. So we put in place, I send out at least one communication internally on a weekly basis, if not more. Most times it's a couple a week just to explain where we are, what's going on, updates to the company. I do a town hall, a virtual town hall, at least once a month that any one of our staff members can be a part of. We also record that so that those that missed it for some reason or another can watch it later and trying to be as transparent as possible just with staff on, hey, we might make some decisions during a pandemic that we're going to change our minds after we put it in play, after we see how it works in operation, because nobody's ever seen this before and nobody's right. ever been in this situation. So that was one thing I, I communicated with the team that says, hey, we're, we're not, we're going to make decisions. The worst thing we can do is be uncertain about our future or, or not make decisions. So we're going to make decisions, but understand we're also going to reserve the right to change our mind if we need to. And I think that was really important to convey that message that says, hey, we got to make decisions. We can't, we can't be frozen. There's too many people that freeze. And during a pandemic or a crisis, the worst thing you can do is freeze. So we're making decisions. And most of the time, they're the right decisions. But occasionally, we're like, yeah, that didn't quite work out the way we had anticipated. So we're going to change the way we're operating it or change our minds. So. Well, I know right now there are other people listening who are like me. So give us an example of one you changed. There's been so many. Need to think about it while I ask you another question? Yes, yes. Okay, I'll give you a break. You you can go ahead and think about it. And when you when it comes to you, we feel free to change the topic and come back to it. What about meeting face-to-face versus via Teams and virtually? What's your takeaway about the need to be in each other's presence or not? Well, preference would be face-to-face. You can read the room better. You can sense people's emotions better when you're in the room together. But again, we're looking after the safety of our community and of our staff. And it's we'd rather err on the side of hosting a Teams meeting, a Zoom meeting, where we do ask and encourage people to turn on their cameras so that we can get that interaction that we would normally get if we were face-to-face and at least Uh, You have it via video. And of course, there's people that need to be on the phone or or can't turn on their camera. But we encourage meetings, everybody to turn on their cameras so that we can have that interaction. So do you expect the protocols you have in place more or less to go through the entire season at this point? Do you expect that the way you're operating will essentially run through the end of the year, the season? Yes, we're set to close on April 11th. Our goal has been to get open and to stay open and if that means we need to you know, follow our protocols, which are working very well, that's what we're going to do to get through the remainder of the season. And I, I have an example. I, ah, I thought what? of one that's recent. Back when we were making decisions, and I think I told you we had, you know, you had, not to get political on you, Ed, but you had uh, back in, what was it, October or, or November, you had the Republic National Convention. Yeah. 
and then you had the Democratic National Convention. A week after those conventions, we held what we called the Decision Convention. So I asked my team to come with all the decisions we would have to make going into our opening day, which was December 1st. And we would have to make a bunch of decisions. So we called it the decision convention. And we actually took several days to go through all of the decisions we had to make to open a ski resort during a pandemic. And, you know, everything from our hours of operation and which restaurants. And it was, I think, several hundred decisions. Oh, geez. And one of those decisions was around fireworks. And most recently, you know, typically we do a ski torchlight parade where the skiers and snowboarders from our snow sports school ski down with flares and provide a, you know, a really good show for our guests. And then we follow that with fireworks. Yep. Yep. We had made the decision we were going to do that on New Year's Eve, like we traditionally have done in the past. And then as we got closer and closer to New Year's Eve, we realized we were creating an event where people were going to gather. And we said that is as much as we want to live up to our tradition of doing a ski, a torchlight parade followed by fireworks. It is essentially inviting our community and our guests to all gather together almost like a rock concert at the base (laughs) of the ski mountain. And we said, we're going to cancel. So that was a decision we we changed. All right. Wonderful example. Yes. And by the way, for those of you who've never seen it, you can probably see it on YouTube. It is spectacular. When they make their way down the, the mountain and in a very synchronized fashion, it is spectacular. And then the fireworks go off and light up the mountain as well. It's It's pretty neat. Having had the good fortune to be in Steamboat at all times of the year, the one thing that I would tell the audience, if you've never been there, is how wonderful it is to be in Steamboat July, August, September. It is, I almost think it's my favorite time of year to be there, but I love it anytime I'm there. But man, it is so neat in late July, August, and early September. One last thing. We always ask our guests to offer up one piece of advice. If there's only one thing I as a leader, executive, or manager can do to run a more successful and sustainable team or business, what would it be? Uh, great question. I think it's as the leader, as the executive, as the chief operating officer, as the president, I need to set the vision. I need to articulate that vision. And then I need to have ruthless pursuit of that vision and get others to come with me. He's Rob Perlman. He is the president and chief operating officer for Steamboat Ski and Resort Company. He's a friend. He's a wonderful leader. And I'm so happy you made time for our audience to hear from you, Rob. If people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to make contact you if they've got questions? I'm pretty much here at the resort on a daily basis. So come to Steamboat. Uh, I love it. Look me up. Are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. All right. So LinkedIn, Rob Perlman, thank you for helping start our 2021 podcast year off in such a great way. I'm I'm excited for our audience to get to know you and know you as a, a wonderful leader and wonderful human being. Thanks for being on the Ed Epley Experience, Rob. Thank you very much, Ed. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, 
and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 